Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. I like to talk to all sorts of people in this show, people who are writers, actors, directors, people who have been in new media, old media, on stage, as stand-up comics. And this is one guy who has done a little bit of all that and more. Let's talk to Frank Ferrante. On tap today, we have Frank Ferrante. How are you doing, good sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. I would. I wanted to say that you have made a career out of the life of Groucho Marx, but a life study might be a better way of putting it. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's part certainly part of my career. I have mm-hmm. to say it's and it's uh. Uh, portraying him on stage and on television at times uh, has been certainly important and has influenced uh, all my other work in in terms of um, improv that I do live on stage, but uh, also as a director, because you have to think fast on your feet when you're in a rehearsal with a cast and the the, uh, design team, et cetera. So Groucho um, as an artist, as a performer is, is a huge influence. So, it's a life study. It's he's been a gigantic influence on me as a as a theater performer. And uh, to me, you know, I discovered him when I was a boy, Aaron. So it's it's been in, it's, it's in my blood at this point. You know? Early on, it was part of my life. It, that's something you and I talked about when we were on the phone a couple of weeks ago. Is that it, it, we're we're at the point now where so many people just had that in their life for so long because it's been around for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, like just just to give some background. I'm told that when my mom went into labor, the Marx Brothers were on TV. That that is literally the signal of me coming into this world. I I told I was told that, that during the conception there was a Marx Brother involved, and so I don't know. So, okay, so, well you one up me there, and I congratulate you. For that. <laughs> so you grew up with it, and your mom was uh, was obviously an influence for you, huh? Mm-hmm. In terms of humor. Yeah, and humor was always a big part. It was always the, the one thing the whole family could bond over together. It's like we would disagree on dramas and we would disagree on, but but if, we, if something could make us laugh, we always liked that. That's, you know, that's a great way to grow up in a family. My uh, my my parents were like that too. My father and, and mother would take us to movies in the 70s and we'd be watching Peter Sellers, Woody Allen, uh, Steve, you know, Steve Martin a little later than that. Um, Mel Brooks. These were, you know, this was all uh, condoned and encouraged uh, in in our household, which was fantastic. Because, as you know, and and I'm sure your uh, your your viewers know, um, you know, humor is, uh, you know, it's subversive. It's naughty. It's it's. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about sex and life and uh, and um, kind of subversive thinking and behavior through comedians you know people just think it's light and fluffy but there really is a reverberation uh, 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 there's an impact uh, on young people when they're exposed to comedy in print or on screen that's for sure and I'm grateful for it because I was taught by nuns so I needed I I needed that kind of courage that someone like Groucho or a slew of others had uh, the brasher comedians that, that I loved uh, Groucho being at the top of my list, certainly. And I can see where you're coming from there because Groucho in particular, um, he had a way of delivering his his humor that you weren't, you weren't necessarily sure he was being funny at first. I mean, he had that, that you had to think about what he said that, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
like the, like the cl classic line that, you know, um, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member. It's like, you, it takes a second to realize, wait a minute, that's an insult. Yeah. And it's, it's an insult right. on himself. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, I always say, people, are you concerned about uh, uh, cancel culture with that? I said, well, no, because, you know, I, I've, I've done this role, uh, for those who don't know, of, of your followers, you know, for 35 years. Um, I've done it all over the world on stage, New York and in London, uh, two tours of Australia, 500 cities around Northern America, Europe. And um, the thing about Groucho, I still, I think he has appeal and I still perform the role uh, ongoing on stage and just uh, filmed it for PBS. Uh, but to get to what we're talking about, Groucho made fun of everyone, including himself, men, women, mostly those who had authority in our, in our, in our lives uh, over us. Uh, doctors, lawyers, professors, uh, politicians. Uh, it's, uh, and so it's really satisfying to watch Groucho take down uh, the elite, uh, the pompous, the, the, the well-fed and the, uh, you know, the, and Margaret Dumont, their famous foil who played that Mrs. Rittenhouse character embodied all that we did not have. Most of us did not have the 99% uh, the of us. And so it's wonderful to watch Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers check on Harpo just pummel uh, the, you know, the elite, the pompous. The, and that's, I, it's a beautiful thing. And it, basically the Marx Brothers in those movies like Animal Crackers uh, and Duck Soup, all, you know, most of the good ones are outsiders. They're the outsiders mm -hmm. looking in and tearing down society and the norm. It's, it, I, 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 as someone who was taught by nuns, as I was referencing earlier, and was being threatened and was afraid, you know, Groucho at age nine became uh, you know, armor for me, uh, an alter ego. And a lot of my peers were like that, uh, I realized at the time. And I think that's still part of the appeal that he says what he wants to say, Aaron, he does what he wants to do. And that's exhilarating, that never gets old. We don't get to do that unless we want to go to jail or be arrested or be punched, you know, and you know, <laughs> take it away with everything. Yeah, and, and I think that that's uh, something that I, is that that's the reason that some characters appeal to us, especially characters who are lowbrow or uncouth. It, it's like, we, it's not necessarily that we like the fact that they're, you know, rude, but we like the fact that they can be rude, that they have the flexibility. We, they, we, we love seeing what we want to do, but probably would judge against our best interests. Absolutely. I mean, you can't say and what he says to uh, the Margaret Dumont character, again, who embodies all that is powerful. I can see you right now in the kitchen bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Now, that's a, you know, I mean, and that's a tough joke today to get, get away with. But uh, mm -hmm. we get that she was all about, you know, she, she could take it. She, you mm -hmm. know, she was also a clown character, this great kind of stock character, Groucho being the brash insult outsider character and Margaret Dumont representing the hoity-toity and it's, it's it's so fun to see those two together it's fun to do you know part of the joy too for me uh you know in my show an evening with Groucho uh, it's uh, over a third of it's improvised and that's part of the, the the joy of that kind of humor and there's a lot of surprise factor with the Marx Brothers. You don't know what's going to happen next. Even, you know, people, you can see those movies over and over again, and they still, they still exhilarate because the behavior is so bad. They're, you know, they're bad boys. And 
I think that's why we can go back over and over again because uh, of this repressed desire that mo many of us have to uh, uh, to to be like them. Yeah, but, that's... Uh, but, the, but the improv is what, what I love and that's what Groucho did so well uh, on stage in, in vaudeville and in, on Broadway in the 19-teens and 20s. And then, of course, on You Bet Your Life. Welcome, welcome, You Bet Your Life. Save the secret wire and divide an extra on the dollar. It's a common way. It's something you see every day. And that was that, you know, the great quiz show that he did for 14 years, which was really improv-based. A lot of the material was set, and a lot of it was improvised. Uh, you can't really do a show for 14 years and expect to improvise 14 years' worth of shows. And no one, no one can do that. Nor is it wise if you have, if it's a multi-million-dollar uh, property for a for a network, you know, you need to have a, bit of a, a net. He did, but no one was better at making uh, material seem improvised as well. That's a whole other skill, and that's what I try in my work in that role. I try to to make it all seem off the cuff. The ninety minutes that I do in the two acts of my show, which is, you know, the best of Groucho songs, stories, um, improv, uh, one-liners. Some of his written material that I, you know, that I perform. So, That's but the key is to make it seem absolutely spur of the moment, and every audience feels like they're getting something different. Aaron, every performance. That's what you want, and actually, in, in that, and in, in truth, they are. Because I don't know what's going to happen from show to show. My piano players don't know what's going to happen from show to show. The audience doesn't know. That's pretty fun. It's, it's like stand-up in some ways. What I do. I'm really glad you went there because I was just thinking that when I watch a movie by the Marx Brothers or some of their contemporaries, what I'm constantly wondering, what I'm constantly feeling is I know there's so much improvisation going on. And I have to wonder if, if the final product I'm seeing 80 years later, is this, was this finally honed or was this just what they happened to grab that particular take? Because, and I don't know, always know, but I'm wondering how do you, when you're there and you're doing semi-improv, semi-planned, how, how do you make that call? What goes through your head? Well, uh, my show is a set show. You know, it's a two-act comedy with music. Um, and so I do want to make sure that I tell the story, that I talk about his brothers, that I talk about his peers like W.C. Fields, Charlie Chaplin. I talk about Margaret Dumont, that's the famous foil in the movies. But, you know, uh, to answer your question, Aaron, is that um, you really, the, the audience tells me a lot. And I've done a lot of audience work, crowd work over the years in, in this show and, and evening with Groucho. And I do a lot of uh, Cirque Cabaret shows for the last 20 years, a uh, couple thousand performances. That's also very audience interactive. I play this character called the Caesar. And it's this Latin lover character. And I actually bring audience members on stage. And it's basically a variety show in which I'm the host as this character that I concocted, inspired by Groucho's improv. And to get to your question, it really, it's the audience that tells you. I can scan an audience now, Aaron. I can tell who wants to play with me, who doesn't want to play. Um, you know, and it really is the, the feel of the house. If it's a tough crowd, I'll sometimes throw away what the set material, I'll let go. I, I, may, I might even drop a song or a block of stories just to get into the audience. Not everyone knows who he is anymore, necessarily Groucho. And it doesn't matter with the way I do it because I act as if it's a completely original happening in the, in the moment. And um, 
So improv, interaction, talking to a crowd, what's your name, where you're from, commenting on, what, you know, on their name is what they do for a living. That's very much in the, in the uh, stand-up vein. Um, and I like, I find different stuff, different material every show. Again, to get back to your question, really the audience informs. You know, if they're having a good time, you can jump on them. And then you're hoping for inspiration. If I'm in, if I'm in Seattle, there might be a young crowd of 20. You know, I've been in Seattle in the last, like for three summers I was there. And there were kids and there, there were couples in their 20s from the university coming. I said, what's going on here? And they love the subversive quality, that kind of naughty quality, that uh, wisecracking quality uh, of Groucho Marx. It's just, there's a real hip quality to Groucho, his persona, the wisecracker, the commentator, the, the one who takes down, you know, who can like, who can, you know, tease you and, and make fun of the stupidity of how we behave, how we dress, how we sound, you know, that's fun. And if you, it, but it takes a certain kind of talent to pull that off. I'm lucky because I've had so many at-bats, you know, I've had, like I said, thousands, you know, 3000 shows as in the Groucho role all over the world, a couple of thousand in this other role. And then I've done other, other characters in, in musical theater, in, in, in straight theater, as we call it, and, you know, in comedies on stage. And I've also uh, directed quite a bit and I've edited a lot of material. Um, I'm digressing. But the, the point is, um, it's uh, every experience is different. That's the beauty of the theater. That's what I think we've been missing during the pandemic is that kind of connection. You can never really, you just, you never really quite get it in a, in a film or a television show, but I think the stage, it's like concerts. You know, you want to experience, it's nothing that's better than experiencing humor, I think, live. Uh, experiencing music live. You feel the energy, the kinetic energy of it all, and you literally feel it. Now you can film something well, a live show, like we did with my show. In part, it might, which it's coming out next, a year from now, but in part, I think uh, my taped version of my film version of my show worked because I had um, the director of the show also was a camera person there. And so this person was following me on stage with a handheld camera. So the audience, you, you know, when you're watching this on screen, you feel like you're on stage with me. You feel like you're in the audience with me. And that helps capture it. But generally, it's tough to capture that kind of a electric vibe that you get when you're in, at, a, at a concert music concert, stand-up, a play, a musical, whatever, you know, a ballet, whatever it is. And it's it's exciting to see this start to to open up now, uh, this kind of live theater. Uh, I, I start back, uh, I open in, in July 8th in a show for a six-month run that's very interactive, this show called Teatro Zinzani in Chicago. I can't wait. You know, I can't wait to get, get, to get back there. And what, what you learn, our audiences, everyone wants to escape for a couple of hours. So getting back to how do you know what to say, you can tell, I, I really do study people's faces and I, you can start to feel people's energy. Um, and I think people are in that theater because they want to have a good time and forget kind of the doldrums of their lives or any kind of pain or, or sadness or whatever you're going through. I know I feel that way. That's why I love seeing something that's funny. I want to, I want to, I don't want to think about, uh, you know, my bills or whatever's going on in my life or, you know. but I, so I think, I, I think we're in for an exciting time uh, coming up in the next, in the next weeks and months. 
I would say so. And I think that we're all welcoming the return to this. And I think even in the larger sense, I think we're welcoming a return to this type of humor where, like you said, it's subversive and people are, they're once again comfortable with taking a swing at anybody, not just, not just you know, one target audience because, you know, it, it's not a good idea to just, you know, have a whipping boy in comedy. Everybody deserves their turn at bat now and then. That's true. That's true. And, I'll, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what people respond to. I think, uh, I think audiences are going to be effusive. That's my sense. I know that I'm ready to have a I see it now, people going just out to get dinner. The enter people are so excited to actually be with other people outside of their immediate group. I know I am, and you can really, I think we're in for some fun for the next few years. Uh, and, and we all certainly deserve it, that's for sure. You know? I'm gonna make sure I put a link to that show on my website, aaronbossig.com. I have show notes for everything. Um, and I keep adding to it as time goes on. So if something comes up, it'll make its way in there. So are there any of the projects you're working on right now? Well, the main thing is, uh, is the Teatro Zinzani, which is the a big show I've been doing since 2001. And uh, that's a show for your, for your followers in the Midwest, whether it's you know, either in Wisconsin or Illinois or, um, or Ohio. Um, I'll be doing that for, uh, into January 9th. It's a six-month run. And that show has, has acts from all over the world. Contortionists, aerialists, singers, comedians, uh, just the best. Tony Award winners are in that show. Uh, if a, a full band that's got like a four-course meal, it's all under a tent. They call it Spiegel tents. It's a Belgian tent, a hundred-year-old tent, Aaron. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, got hand-carved wood and stained glass, and it's a mirrored tent. And it's got beautiful, beautiful velvety, you know, uh, drapery and curtains. I mean, it's extremely, it's, it's, it's a, a vaudeville for those who know vaudeville who are listening. Just It, it really is a variety show that is over the top. And uh, it's, it's so I'm, that's my, the main thing I'm doing. After that, I've got some Groucho uh, one-nighters of my show. In the spring, Groucho comes out on PBS, uh, April and May. My, my, my Frank Bronny's Groucho, the, the film version. And that takes me through, you know, a big chunk of my year. The great thing now is that these the usual suspects, the people that hired me, are starting to pop up. I work a lot at the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia. I pitched the, the production of Anything Goes as a performer and director, so we'll see. Which is kind of a Depression-era musical, 1934, Cole Porter musical. And again, frothy, funny, you know, foot-tapping, toe-tapping uh, musical. And, uh, and, uh, so I'm pretty, I'm fortunate to be busy. But the, during the pandemic, I just, you know, there was, I haven't really worked for a year and a half. I'm doing things, but in terms of income, like a lot of my colleagues, you know, where it's, it's come, it came to a standstill for a lot of us uh, uh, of different levels, of different levels in, in entertainment. So, but I did a lot of uh, fun things, including putting together websites for my shows and there's a great website that I'll share that it's not really my show directly, but for your, for the Groucho fans, it's called GrouchoMarks.com. And uh, Groucho, I, I own half of Groucho Marx Productions, which represents the name and likeness of, of, of Groucho Marx. And we put together this great entertaining website where, you know, it has videos and it's got a chronology of his career and it's got 20, radio, hundreds of hours of radio from his TV, from his radio career. So uh, for, for your, for those who look, you don't have to be a Groucho manager, a comedy aficionado, 
uh, that's something I've been up to. I'm really proud to have put that out for, for, um, for aficionados. That's incredible, especially from a preservation point of view, where it can be hard to, if you're going to look for something like that, you might have to wait for a rare DVD release or comb the internet archives, but to have it all accessible like that is a real boon. Yeah, and it's really, uh, it's uh, comprehensive. So you can spend hours just, you know, surfing through, you know, going through it and checking it out. So I'm proud of that. And, you know, I, this, the Caesar character that I do in this search show, like I mentioned, I put, you know, I did things online. Uh, little programs, you know, you get inventive when you're not able to do what you do, what I've been doing for, you know, like I said, decades. So you try to get creative and you work with uh, with other friends who are in the same boat. And, and uh, you know, you it's like any, you know, it's like I always say it's like when I play a play a matinee in Florida, you know, an older crowd. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't like that. I don't mind it. I know that you're dealing with an older, you know, you're dealing with an audience that might be 75 and up my job and, and they're not they can't give you the same kind of response that you might get in you know new york or boston or san francisco or chicago you know at, you know on a friday or saturday night but it's still a great audience and so what can i learn from it you know, not not to take it personally and find out how to make that particular audience laugh and i and, and or i'll just get a sometimes you get a tough audience that's when i come up with my best stuff Aaron. that's when i like throw the script out the window and come up with weird, wacky business. And, and that ends up becoming part of the show. So I developed this file you know, of, of so-called improv, but also mm. new improv uh, evolved. So I have, I have hundreds of jokes that have come out of my interaction with audiences. That's part of the show now, but I, I never stop, which I think harkens back to your question. How do you, you know, how do you do it? How do you make the improv? How do you know how to do it, when to do it? Um, I, I'm really fortunate. I'm, one of, I'm kind of a rare kind of freak in that I haven't stopped working for, you know, since I was 22. I'm 58 now. Has been, and it hasn't stopped until recently. And even then, you know, I'm still being creative. And, um, but so that's what, that's, what's, that's what I've been up to. That's what's coming up. That's what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's something interesting about, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. That one of the nicest uh, it's fun to, to share what share this with with an audience. Uh, one of the great things I feel like is, I got the best compliment from Sean Penn I'm, as a name drop. He said, "Frank, you've got one foot in yesterday and one foot in today, and you make it all your own." That to me was like yes. that to me like when he said that to me. I don't know, 15 years ago, I thought, okay, that that it's been worth it because um, you know I'm not big, Aaron, on tribute shows. Uh, I certainly respect great impersonators and freshness. I have, a lot, I have a lot of friends who do it much better than I do. That's what they do and they're genius at it. It's not what I am. I'm, I'm really more of an actor and a director, uh, a comedian. But there's some people really, that's their, like their, I mean, I love seeing someone who can kill it. You know, Jim, Jim when Jimmy Fallon does his singing, when he does his singing uh, impersonations, it's, to me, it's like, how do you do it? You know, people like Marilyn Michaels and John Biner, but from more of the older school, the Rich Littles, you know, at their, um, in their head, you know, you can't beat what they do. But, um, you know, I, I don't know, I'm digressing. But um, this, my show isn't that kind of, um, it's not that kind of a show. Uh, Frank, Frank Gorshin did a one-man show about George Burns. Uh, he, wanted, mm -hmm. he was nominated for a Tony Award. But that's a guy who also was a great 
a great actor on top of being, you know, and, and uh, crazy. I mean, for me, to, when I'm talking to you right here, and I mean, I hope people go on YouTube and check, check out Frank Barabi. You'll see some insane over-the-top clips of me as Groucho, as the Caesar, C-A-E-S-A-R. And it's outrageous. And it kind of, it's kind of, um, again, it harkens back to vaudeville, to early live television, to the Sid Caesar vibe, Milton Berle, you know, attack, you know, just, I go out with a full attack. I don't want everyone to have a good time, get their money's worth. And I, I'm not happy until people are, are rollicking and standing by the end. That's my job. You know, it, it's a big deal when people lay down, you know, their money to see, to see you. And it's hard earned. And it's been harder earned from, from much of the world uh, in the last year. So, I, you know, I feel a responsibility to kill it for an audience. And um, it matters to me. Not everyone cares about a whole the whole show. Some people just care about their part of the show. I actually care about the whole show. In Teatro Zanzani, this variety show where I'm, you know, I've got like 45 minutes in it, three sets basically. But I know if I go too long with my improv, it could affect the audience's energy at the end, and it could have hurt someone else's act if I, if I'm a hog, if I if I take up too much time. So I've gotten really good over the years to keep it tight, to keep my sets tight, you know, and to and to just kind of keep it moving. I spend a lot of time on this show talking about new media and I'm a huge advocate of podcasting. I love YouTube. I think these are all great things, but I think that one of the concerns I've had is that if you have such a glut of content being made constantly, the audience might shift their focus away from the wealth of stuff that's already in our vaults, ready to be used and enjoyed. And I think acts like yours are the bridge between the two where you're gonna be able to take the, the best stuff that we've made the last century or so and make it accessible to people in the future. People who are used to having stuff on their phones constantly, they're used to being able to sit down at a box with millions of channels of content. I, I really think that, that, that that's really where the best of both worlds. So. I think you're right. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I wonder how many people, Aaron, are gonna go back into movie theaters too, because of, of this, what we have in front of us. And, um, but I think it is a good bridge. I think there, I, my gut is there's gonna be a craving, a desire to get in, back into a theater. I think it, I'm already starting to see, see it happen. Uh, just seeing how ticket sales are going for this upcoming Chicago run. Mm -hmm. You realize people are really anxious and, and ready to get the hell out of their homes and, and back into the world. Um, and, and by the time I'm I'm working in July, I think we're playing a full we're playing a full capacity now. So and so the, a lot of the humor, the jokes are going to be about what has, you know, and as painful as it's been, and there's been of course horrible loss, and uh, in every way of life and economy, for personal economies have been demolished. But we're going to have to deal with the we're going to have to find the humor in how we behaved, you know. The, from you know, from masking to hand sanitizer to you know being isolated, all that is gonna somehow without being too heavy-handed because we don't want you know I don't mostly we want to escape from from the from the memory and the thought of it, but you, we can't help but tease it, and that's gonna come out of that'll come through in the improv I'm sure in the work I do in the next months, and I, I'm kind of excited to see how that's gonna play out. You know? 
And um, well, look at your your heritage here. I mean, you're talking about um, if you're looking from the Groucho perspective, they came out of the Depression, which was a period that lasted longer, affected more people, not quite in the same way, but it they they were making their humor out of some genuine misery, and that's you you could argue that that's why it was so profound. Well, I think you have a great point, Aaron. I think uh, it was as horrible. It may have been worse, and some people were. People were jumping off of bridges, committing suicide. Families were wiped out. I mean, this is hor it's horrifying. It went on for years. Um, and humor became, and, and I know so much has been written about this, but humor became, at, you know, at the fore. You know, you had, that's, there's a reason why we had, in that era of the 20s, and I mean, late 20s and the 30s, up until World War II, Marx Brothers, W.C. Fields, Mae West, Three Stooges, and Chaplin was still doing film, Laurel and Hardy, you, you know, there's a, there's a long list. Some of the greatest film comedy that the country ever produced is a, is, a is, is a response to the horror that's going on at the time, the misery, as you, as you say. And, you know, you, you know, people would scrape together their pennies to do, go see a film mm -hmm. that, in which they can get lost in it, which, in which they can identify with the players, with the Marx Brothers, with Laurel and Hardy, the, the hapless duo, or the assertive, crazy threesome that were the Marx Brothers, or the or watching the Stooges, you know, wreak havoc, you know, in, in, in the world, trying to do their best, you know, and again, in, generally in high society, in society, and fail miserably, of course, get you know, pied and slapped and whatever else. But it's true. I think that we're in for. I hope a renaissance. I hope a real appreciation. For all kinds of comedy, you know, people always go, "Oh, these things aren't as funny as they used to be." I think they're funnier than ever. You know, really? there is so much funny out there and brilliant that's happening. That, of course, through that through Netflix and so many other platforms, we're getting great minds with people of all backgrounds, male, female, all you know, a diverse a diverse uh, take. We're getting we're getting humor from all from all sides, which is fantastic. And um, that's been going on for a while, though. So, I mean, there's so many people to watch and to admire. And, uh, you know, it's breathtaking when you see, you know, when you watch uh, some of the material that's being done today, from the Ricky Gervaises to Larry David makes me laugh still. Oh, gosh, there's some, you know, there's so many great com uh, comedians like Sarah, you know, Sarah Silver, uh, Silverman and uh, Chelsea Handler. All the, they're just getting, I think they're all getting more Dave Chappelle, they're getting more on, people are getting more honest. People are talking about uh, their lives and finding the humor of it, the pain of their lives. It's what Pryor, Richard Pryor was doing, you know, back in the seventies, better than anyone and still probably better than anyone. And um, people are relating to individual stories right now, people's stories of suffering. And, and um, you know, I forget the comedian I was watching on a podcast, of course, as you were, as you say, the podcast is the thing that something miserable had happened to this person, but, and they were thinking about how horrible this event was in the, in their life. And then, but the other thought was, I can't wait to, you know, find the comedy of it and share it with an audience. And, um, I think it's important. I think we're going to see more of that too. We, uh, uh, all of us need to relate to each other. We've been isolated, you know, and the idea of communing again as a as a as a as a family, as 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 
you know, as a as a as a nation, you know, as an audience, whatever you want, however you want to put it, is a it's going to be really important and I think cathartic. You know, I can't wait to be in an audience and laugh my head off. I cannot wait to really applaud and have other people. It seems like a foreign thought right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> it does. It really does. You know, it's crazy, but Aaron. People are going to rediscover that when you're in, there's nothing like laughing in an audience. That's why we have laugh tracks, because people are trying to synthesize that feeling of everybody else is loving it, too. Right. And you know, I think that when we finally get people back there, it's, it's going to be something that it, it's almost a renaissance of the theater. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, and there's a lot. We're coming off of a lot, certainly, uh, uh, from, uh, you know, there's been a, there has been a lack of inclusion in the theater and, and, and the arts, and that's going to change. So we're going to get humor from different areas that we haven't had in the last decades or ever. That's going to be interesting to see, you know, to hear more voices, to get different takes, uh, uh, comic takes on life, the world. I'm excited about that. I think there's there's room for everyone in this of all like, ages and backgrounds. I I, I, I think it's going to be, as you're suggesting, pretty exciting time and a, a renaissance. And I'm happy to be working still. I'm. It's like I want to get another thirty years out of this. You know, I want to. You know, one of my great influences. You know, it's funny. I think comedians live so long. I always want to write a book, Aaron, about longevity and humor. If you look at you know, and sure, some some. There's been a lot of self-destruction in that in that world of, of comedy. You can mm -hmm. go down the line of those who will eat or kill them. But but more than not, you've got the Grouchos who lived to be in their 80s, the Milton Burles, the Sid Caesars, the George Burnses, Bob Hope. Two of those guys lived to be 100. Mel Ellis Brooks. Miller, Carol Burnett, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner. I really believe that humor and doing what you love is a life extender. And it's also a quality of life enhancer. You know, I really do. And um, I, I feel better now than when I was 22 when I was first doing this, you know, knock, I'm knocking wood. And um, I think a lot of my peers would say the same thing. You know, I've got two teenagers and I just say, just do what you love, do what you love and you're set. You, you, you've never, you know, it's cliche, but you, then you've never, you'll never work a day in your life. I've never, I work hard and it's been a gr grueling life on the road. And, and there's certainly sacrifices that come with it, but the joy, that I've that I've um, obtained from that kind of existence is like it's over the top. And every time before I go on stage, I always say to myself, Aaron, share the joy, share the share the joy that you felt when you were a kid, when you when, when Frank you first experienced the Marx Brothers, the Stooges, well, you know, W. C. Fields, Peter Sellers, whomever. And um, I feel that's my job is to, to share the kind of exhilaration. Make I, my job is to exhilarate an audience the way I was exhilarated as a kid. You know, I feel anything less than that, I feel like I've, I've shorted the crowd. I've shorted, shorted, I've shorted patrons. I don't want to do that ever. Well, Frank, I I'm sitting here and I really want to talk about this connection you have between longevity and humor because I'm I'm a big believer in that too, and mm -hmm. I definitely want to ask about the the chance you have to introduce audiences to that and. Might not be something we can cram into this, but I would like to maybe talk to you again sometime and get into that sort of stuff. Be great. I'd love, love to have that. Yeah. Um, so let me let you go for now. But where could people follow your misadventures and where could people <laughs> possibly buy tickets to this upcoming show? Thank you for that. I appreciate it. The, uh, the show that I'm doing uh, that I've been doing for 20 years that's opening in Chicago in July 
It's called Teatro Zinzani, and you can get tickets in Chicago, right in the heart of the theater district. It's a venue that I opened in 2019, and then the pandemic came. But to answer your question, Aaron, it's zinzani.com, Z-I-N-Z-A-N-N-I.com. Um, there's a great new site called eveningwithgroucho.com, which has all my madness on it. It's got some, that's, that focuses on the show, that, my one-man show, An Evening with Groucho, and you can hear about the, the TV show that's going to come out on PBS and my itineraries there, eveningwithgroucho.com. And, and people can follow me on Facebook uh, on An Evening with Groucho. You know, I have a nice following there. Something called Friends of Caesar, which is on Facebook and other, and it's funny what, I've got these wonderful people that follow it and we get into these great back and forth. Sometimes it's within character. Uh, and then as I mentioned, groucho.marks.com. If you just love Groucho and the Marx Brothers, even if you don't, I think you'll find it entertaining. So that's, that. I don't think, I think that covers it. It covers a lot of ground. Say you cover a lot of ground yourself. So um, <laughs> to quote Groucho Marx, um, but yeah. So yeah, so thank you for that time, Aaron. And uh, I can't wait to get back out your way at some point. I, I would love to see you and I would love to have you back. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your uh, hospitality and for sharing my little slice of life with your listeners and viewers. Appreciate it. I would like to thank Frank for being my guest today and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, where we talk about ways to grow the show that cost you nothing and take less than five minutes of your time, I want to circle back to the point I made about how we have so much new content and so much old content and how we wrestle with it. Is there something you've discovered from the past or the present that you really enjoy or a way of blending the two that you'd find interesting? Drop me an email at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Bossig. You could subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.